0: Well, hello everyone. Are you ready for Bible study? I know I am. So this is my Bible. I believe it's God's Word. I believe every word is true and it's all that I need. Let's pray. Father, we come to you right now and we just want you to open our eyes and our hearts and our minds so that we can receive what you want us. So, Lord, we just pray that your Holy Spirit will just make it very clear what we need to know today personally. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we left. We left the family, Jacob and his family, kind of in a rough spot last week. We we know that they had they had um, uh, many choices they could make, and one was to be obedient. <laughs> That's always the choices: are we could obey or not. And they had a choice to obey, and Jacob did not go quite all the way to where he was supposed to go. In fact, he he left Esau after that wonderful reunion. He still went and had to deceive one more time. And it, it just, it doesn't... Well, it never ceases to amaze me when you think you might have learned a valuable lesson, and then you do it again. I mean, I cannot, I cannot find, um, I cannot blame Jacob. Until I look in the mirror and you look in the mirror and see how how we think we've learned. Jacob had that Bethel experience, conversion, and then and then he, he had that wrestling with God, and he knew he needed to surrender and be blessed by God. And, and then he meets Esau, and it's just such a great reunion. And then he tells Esau, let's meet, and then they, they go separate, and Jacob goes in another direction, and he deceives Esau again. And now he goes to a town called Shechem. And Shechem is in an area. It's an it's a, it's a atmosphere that he, Jacob should have never put his family in. In fact, I have on top of my paper, be careful where you dwell, I don't think it means just living. It means where we go, what we do there, who we're with there. And and I think we see here that Jacob was supposed to go to Bethel. And he stopped and he dwelt in Shechem. And now we will see what happens. And now Dinah, the daughter of Leah had born to Jacob, went out to visit the women of the land. Now, that's understandable. I mean, you can see here she's got 12 brothers, and and she is the only girl, and she wants to do girl things, and she wants to be with girls, and I can understand it. But these are not the girls she should really be a part of yoking with you know, the Bible's so clear. Do not be yoked with unbelievers. I mean we can we can have acquaintances, but you know, how close was she getting with these girls? How how much like them was she becoming? And she got involved with these girls and then one day, one day, um, because the morals in that town were so terrible, immorality was at a high in this pagan culture and and another thing that came to my mind was, did Jacob and Leah say it was okay to go? Did they say it was um, um, you know? For her to do a part of these girls and in their actions and in their in what they did and and uh, I, I don't know it just couldn't have been good. Yeah, maybe maybe she snuck there. Maybe she kind of went behind their back. We don't know, but we saw what happened. when Shechem. Now now remember Shechem the town and Shechem, the son of Hamar the Hivite. Or, you know, I <laughs> have a town Shechem, and you have, a, you have a, a, a man Shechem. Well, anyway, he was the son of Hamar the Hivite, the ruler of the area. Well, to me, that meant he was probably like a prince Or um, son of a leader of the of the town, and he was spoiled. He was used to getting his own way. He he was very much he was very much um doing his own thing when and how he wanted, and he fell for this girl, Dinah. her. He took her. He violated her. His heart was drawn to her. Now, you know, I even looked in the King James and said that he loved her from his soul. And he, he oh, so here it says, his heart was drawn. and you think, Well, he really loved her. And I have a hard time with that one because Love, real love, would never violate. If he really loved her, wouldn't he? Wouldn't he do it the right way? Wouldn't he follow protocol? Would he? Um, wouldn't he be? Um, um, you know, if she says no, it means no, kind of thing. But he violated her. So, in my opinion, he was. He was a spoiled brat, and he was used to having his way. In fact, he went to his dad and said, get me this girl as my wife. You know, again, he's used to getting what he wants, what he wants, and, Dad, get her for me. You're the ruler of the town. You call shots, you get it for me. When Jacob heard that his daughter Dinah had been defiled, his sons were in the field with his livestock, so he kept quiet about it until they came home. Now, did you think, come on, Jacob, why didn't you take action? Why didn't you do something? I mean, if if this is your only daughter and someone violated her, and you are waiting, you stay in the fields, you do nothing. And and I thought, where is your leadership? Don't you even think that your daughter will never be the same? Else as in Shechem's father, Hamar went out to talk with Jacob. So, Hamar is going to talk on behalf of his son and ask for Dinah to be his son's wife. Now, in the meantime, Jacob's sons had come in from the fields as soon as they heard what happened. They came in, they came in, and they heard the news, and they came in, and you could tell, I'm sure they thought, if you're not going to do anything about this, Dad, then we are. They were filled with grief and fury because Shechem had gone, had done a disgraceful thing in Israel had lying with Jacob's daughter. A thing that should not be done. Oh, they were fit to be tied. This should have never happened. Shechem should have never been able to take Dinah and violate her in this kind of state. It should have never happened. But Hamar said to them, My son, Shechem, has his heart set on your daughter. I mean, hey, he wants her. And this is a good opportunity for her. I have an idea. Please give her to him as his wife. Please give her to him as his wife. Intermarry with us. Give us our daughters. Give us your daughters and take daughters for yourselves. You can settle among us. The land is open to you. Live in it. Trade in it. Acquire property in it. Hey, this is, this is a good deal. We can all come together. Now, it was not a good deal. This is not what God would say was okay because he had been very clear to Abraham to Isaac do not intermarry even to Jacob do not intermarry and, and why why not intermarry well it's it's really quite logical i mean god has a covenant plan going No way is he wanting intermarriage because he doesn't want God's holy people, his holy people to be intertwined with Canaanite culture. It would just interfere with this whole thing. They don't blend. They can't be yoked. They're in two different directions. They wouldn't be distinct people that they need to be. In fact, there, there would be no difference between Canaanites, Israelites. Oh so, no, no, it was not a good idea. Verse 11, and Shechem said to Dinah's father and brothers Let me find favor in your eyes and I will give you whatever. Ever you ask? Now he's thinking money, money will do it. Money, so he says, take the price for the bride and the gift I am to bring as great as you like, and I'll pay whatever you ask. Only give me the girl as my wife. So again, we see money trying to be used as a, as an answer. I'll pay you whatever you want. Just give me your daughter, your sister, because my son wants her. Because their sister had been defiled. Jacob's sons replied deceitfully. Oh, and I had to underline that word. I thought... Have seen that word so many times since we've started this Genesis. And and we've watched it happen in so many ways in different times. And and you wonder, did, did Jacob's sons see any of this? Did they see how how Jacob didn't go where he was supposed to go with Esau. Did they see all this? Did they hear about the seed from previous times? It seems like it's just kind of be a way of life for them. And they learned from Jacob. They learned it from is this the is this the system? This is how we operate. So they came up with a plan, and let me tell you, this was planned. This was calculated. This was deception at its best. I'm sure they were together, and they said, I don't know who said what to who, but they came up with this plan and said, we can't do such a thing. We can't get our sister to a man who is not circumcised oh boy this was so calculated they they I don't know who came up with this idea but it was it was clever we can't we can't give our sister to someone who isn't circumcised that would be a disgrace to us We will give our consent to you on one condition, that you become like us by by circumcising all your meals. Then we will give you our daughters and take your daughters for ourselves. We'll settle among you and become one people with you. Just just like what you wanted. We'll do that. All you have to do is circumcise all the males. But if you will not agree to be circumcised, we'll take our sister and go. Her proposal seemed good to Hamar and his son, Shechem, the young man who was the most honored of all his father's household. See, that little sentence in there. I thought, yeah, he was spoiled. This young man, he was most honored. He got his way, anything he wanted. And he lost no time in doing what was said because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. He, he would do anything. So Hamar, hey his son Shechem went to the gate of their city and to speak to their fellow townsmen. These men are friendly toward us, they said. Let them live in our land and trade in it. The land has plenty of room for them. We can marry their daughters, they can marry ours, but the men will consent to live with us as one people only on the condition that our males be as circumcised as they themselves are. Now, look at verse 23. Won't their livestock, their property, and all their animals become ours? So let us give our consent to them, and they will settle among us. Oh, they had they had this figured out. They thought we all come together. We are going to profit from this man, from his family. He's he's wealthy. They're influential. We have nothing but potential gain in this whole thing. You know, the sad thing about it is. Never once in this chapter do you hear the name of God mentioned. See, when you start dwelling in a place with this kind of atmosphere, this kind of of example setting, I mean, you become, it's not long before you become like that. You start getting farther and farther away from God to the point where he is not even mentioned. He is not asked about this situation at all. This really should make us think that once we get involved in sin of any kind, it isn't it isn't. Hard. It just makes sense that if it isn't stopped, we will continue, we'll just keep going along with it, and we get farther and farther into it, deeper and deeper into the sin, one lie after another. And most important, like I said, farther and farther away from God. So they gave their consent. It went out of the city gate and agreed with Hamar and his son, Shechem, all the men agreed. Yeah, that's a great idea. Verse 24, every male, every male in the city was circumcised. So here's a plan very much calculated, very deceptive. And they're all in agreement, ready to go. And sure enough, twenty-five, three days later, all of them were still in pain. Two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and attacked the unsuspecting city killing every male so two sons took their swords attacked the unsuspecting city and killed every male they put hamar his son Shachem, to the sword and took from Shukram's house and left. Now, God's holy people, this this holy nation that was starting here now turned into murderers. So, instead of becoming more and more like God's chosen people, they into the atmosphere and the influence of this town and became like them. Such a contrast. When God is not mentioned, when God is not asked, or or when we do not even consider what he might say to us, what his word says to us, we just do what we want. We try to fix it on our own. God, it's no consideration. This is what is seed. This is what happens. These stories, again, I say to you, these stories are in here. Not that we say, oh, how Awful, but that we see how quickly human nature can can drift and even fall so short of God's God's will and God's plan. It's the saddest thing, and I know we do it all the time, but look what happens when we feel we can handle this situation ourselves. When you don't listen. God said, I want you to settle in Bethel. Instead, they settle where they want. It probably looked like a fun time and for them. They thought, oh, this will be a good place to settle. A lot to do. A lot of buzz. A lot of, a lot of fun. A lot of, A lot of things to do. That we can do as a family. I mean, I'm sure they justified it. We're good at that. But it wasn't what God said. And so this is now a big, huge problem. I mean, Dinah's been defiled and violated. Jacob does nothing. Boys take revenge. They follow their father's footsteps in deceit and concoct this plan, and a whole town of men are murdered. Did you get this? I mean, my jaw just dropped so much when I was studying this lesson. I thought, look how far... We go down the tube when we leave God out of our lives. And we wonder why sometimes we get into the situations we do, why we make bad choices. So now we are now it says that verse 26 and after the, um, it says Hamar and his son Shechem were put to death to the sword, and by the sword, and the sons of Jacob came upon the dead bodies and looted the city. So now the other sons of Jacob come, see all the dead bodies, and they looted, they took all the things of the city, and it seized their flocks, herds, donkeys, and everything else of theirs in the city, and they took it all out into their fields, and carried off their wealth, and all their women and children, taking as plunder everything in the houses. So it just went from bad to worse. Dead bodies, all the men dead. They, they think, well, they had it had a coming. But no, 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 this is not the way God operates. And then, then they went and looted the town, took the women, took the children, took the flocks, and just took them into their possessions. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me a stench to the Canaanites and to the parasites, the people living in the land. Now I'm sure you couldn't help but see that all Jacob cared about here was his name, his reputation. I'm, I was hoping maybe he was concerned that, you know, we're, we're supposed to make friends with these people, we eventually are gonna have land here, but he is just so consumed with himself. And again, did he learn that from his dad from his grandpa. I mean, here we are reminded again of parental behavior is so critical. You You cannot not see that, like father, like son, how we are so responsible. We have such a huge job as parents. Our children look to us. Our example is supposed to be what they need to see. And here, Jacob, And we see his name, Jacob, because, oh, he's acting just like Jacob. And Jacob seems to care just about himself and his reputation. And never once, I guess as a woman, as Dinah, I'm thinking, doesn't my dad care what happened to me? Doesn't he care that this violated me and will I will never be the same? Now eventually in Genesis forty nine, Simeon and Levi they they do get rebuked by Jacob when he's On his deathbed, Jacob does rebuke Simeon and Levi, but that's down the pike. I mean, he, he doesn't even say there's going to be consequences. He just is upset that his name is going to be mud. His reputation is a stench to the Canaanites and parasites. In fact, he then says, you know, look, we are few, and if they join forces against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. And then the sons come back and said... Well, should we have treated our sister like a prostitute? You mean you weren't going to do anything? You wanted us to do nothing but two? And just let them get away with it and let Dinah be violated? And that's okay? I mean, that question was was. Full of things going through their mind, like, come on, she's your daughter. You did nothing, and you expect us to stand by. So, what kind of example was Jacob to his sons? He such a clear lesson on our behavior. What our children are seeing and how are they gonna know how to live and be and how are they gonna learn how to listen to God and obey what he says if you're not doing it that question was full of what they were thinking This was such a low point in Jacob's family. Probably the lowest because, well, God's never mentioned in the picture. They've got themselves so far removed. In fact, when we go into 35, you can see just how they have joined in. With the influence of this town. Then, then God said to Jacob, Go to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother. He saw. Now you are going to hear God's name in this chapter. But in this first verse, it's like God just, okay, I, I can't stand it anymore. This is my plan, my covenant plan with this family, and they've got so removed from me that I have got to do something. And so he then said to Jacob, Go. And I'm thinking, if he would have just done that the first time, when he, if he would have just listened and obeyed, and, and, and why didn't he go with Esau, and why didn't he deceive again? And that just started it. And then all of this chapter of 34 could have been prevented. The whole, the whole thing if they would just listen. See, don't you think sometimes when we suffer consequences of disobedience, don't you just wonder what it could have been like if you just listened to God the first time and did what he said? All of this could have been eliminated, but because God is faithful and he's Patient and he is compassionate, and all the words that I can't possibly even fathom when all of this has transpired. But we have a God who just does not give up on us, he doesn't give up on you and me. And here, he did not give up on them and said, now go back to Bethel. The only cure for worldliness. And it's so easy to get caught up in it when you're living in it, of course, and it's rubbing, I mean, you're rubbing with it all the time. But the only cure from worldliness when you've seen you've got yourself so far away from God, and that is you've got to separate yourself from it. That's why many times we've said, you know, if when temptation lures you, I mean it just lures it just sucks you in and and it appeals to your weakness or your addiction or your flesh just craves it. That's the kind of human beings we are so caught up in sin. And it does pull us in and suck us into its mold. And sometimes with people and places, if we know it is not where we should be or who we're supposed to be with, when it when we know when we know it's contrary to what God has told us, but yet we want the fun, we want the we want the excitement. We would sometimes want what this world has to offer, and. Yet we know from God's word, He's saying, No, I know how it can pull you in. And once you start away from me, it will just keep driving you farther and farther away from me. You gotta separate yourself. You almost have to tell yourself, you know, sometimes it could be people that once you come to know Christ and once you want to live your life for Him, and you do want to listen and you do want to obey, you gotta sometimes you just can't be with those people. You know what they do. Or sometimes you can't go where you used to go because you know it's not where God wants you to go. If you truly want to stay away from the world's pull, you've got to know your weaknesses, and you've got to separate yourself from from the world, from your weaknesses, and you've got to cling to a God who promises to do in you what only he can do, and that is rise you above yourself. So God said to Jacob, go back to that place where you and I started a real relationship where you came i came to you and you identified yourself and me together i became your god that was a very dramatic important life changing Hell to heaven kind of experience. Salvation will do that. It is monumental in our life, and that is what we do. It was for Jacob, go back to Bethel and remember what happened there. For you and I, it's go back to the cross and realize what was done there for your behalf. Now, this had to be, too, a very important time in Jacob's life to show his sons, his family, a whole different side. Like, he had to come to the reality of how far he had gone astray, and he had to admit, it's humbling, it's humbling to admit how wrong you are, and you have to make a change. And so when he went back to Bethel, that had to make an important effect on his children. I'm sure it was not easy for Jacob. I mean, you know, when we have to admit we've been wrong, but if we know that we are affecting our children by Our behavior. Would you do anything? Would you humble yourself? Would you admit and would you go back to where? I mean, what a beautiful thought to think that you can tell your children I really messed up. I have been away from the Lord. I have done, I have made bad choices. I did not do what was right. I am going back to the cross. I am reviving my conversion experience. I'm going to remember that it was only Jesus that changed me and I am so sorry. Now, you know, family, believe it or not, that family couldn't get right with the Lord until Jacob did. I mean, that does show responsibility in our leadership in the home. Someone's got to take the lead. I mean that sentence, I thought my word, that's really true. That whole family would have kept staying on the wrong path if Jacob hadn't done what he did and helped us humble himself and walked to that altar in Bethel. For you and me going to the cross, confessing, repenting. That family had to have a leader that was willing to do that. You know, it's hard as we work at teaching our children godly conduct, (laughs) be kind, be nice. You know, we can do our best at teaching them but they will continue to do what we do. We can tell them, but if they see us doing differently, no, they're gonna follow our example. We saw that in this lesson, too clear, very explicitly, children, Watch their parents' behavior. They don't always hear their words, but they watch what they're doing. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Get rid of. Of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. I mean, they had to be cleaned out. They had to be cleaned inside and out. But look how low they've gone. Did Jacob learn that each all had those household gods of Laban? And they acquire more in Shechem. And you know what idols are? And that are, they are things of this world that we value more than God, our one and only God. So when you look at this, you say, you know, how terrible they had these little idols or what. But no, Idols, foreign gods, um, are anything that when you are away from the Lord, you acquire the things of this world, and they become so important to you, more important than your relationship with God. And Jacob says, we have to get rid of them. We've got to get our lives cleaned out. In fact, even when he said, change your clothes, what a visual of of you just, you know, this whole chapter of 34, it just made you feel dirty and, and evil and just plain wrong. And then here Jacob says, we've got, a chance now to clean up our act, to get back into the right place. We need, we need that relationship to be where it's supposed to be. Then come, let us go to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress, and who has been with me wherever I have gone. You know, when Jacob started working himself back to, to the Lord, I think he started having clarity of thought, and he remembered God saying to him, and I will be with you everywhere you go. This was a very humbling time for Jacob, but along with a humbling time, it comes this renewal. It's it's refreshed. It's it's clean. It's clean. It's a freedom. It's like the weight is off. You feel cleansed. It's like that song, you you know it. I'm free from the fear of tomorrow. Tomorrow. I'm free from the guilt of my past. I traded my shackles for this glorious song. I'm free, praise the Lord, free at last. See, when you come to your senses, and we all have this experience in our lives. where We veer off course to a point where we can't even, we don't even know what we're doing. We don't even realize we're that far into the world. We don't even realize we haven't said his name or thought about him. And then, in God's grace and faithfulness, He will come to us in some shape or form, or some way that we see ourselves, and and we are humbled to a pulp, and we go to that cleansing power of the cross, and there is a freedom there. You know, this story right there is what why Jesus came. He came for people like you and I and Jacob and his twelve sons. He came to to redeem us and buy us back and humble us to the point that we know we can't do it without him. The gospel message is so clear. God so loved us anyway that he gave us Jesus. And if we're willing to be humbled and see ourselves the way we truly are, we will not perish. We will be humbled, but we will be set free. And know we have everlasting life, not just future, but now. Because he, was, he, in his sacrifice, made it possible. So as dark as one chapter can be, how beautiful the next chapter can be when God steps in and because of his amazing grace... Changes our wretched behavior and opens our eyes to see how far we've been removed from him and how we walked away. He didn't walk away from us, we walked away from him, but he is willing. But he he does require a good cleaning out, a confession, a repentance. Uh, humbling. Paul says in Ephesians four twenty two, get rid of things that take you down and can pollute your heart. See, it's during this time you've got to take like a, a take a look at what caused me to get this far away from the Lord. And whatever it was, maybe it's not I, I didn't open my Bible maybe I didn't listen to the spirit when I knew he was trying to tell me, don't do that, don't go there, don't be." but I didn't listen and I then, then didn't obey or maybe maybe you think, well I, I can I can do. I'll do part of what I want, what God wants. I'll do part. It's like when when Jacob, it didn't go all the way. He stopped in Shechem. When God requires all of us, not just numerically, he requires, he requires for you and me, all of me. He requires all of me. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. See, Jacob's been through that. But how we then can drift, but then God brings us back and reminds us. And he's going to do that again with Jacob. Jacob. So look at verse 4. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Then they sat out, and the terror of God fell upon the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. So see, even in their possessions, they they had connected with this pagan influence, and God says, get rid of it. Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz at Bethel in the land of Canaan, and there he built an altar and called the place El-Bethel because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother good reminder very good reminder it reminds me to remember in Revelation chapter 2 when when the um, when Jesus said to John okay I want you to write these seven letters and the first one being to the church of Ephesus I went back and at and I reread that letter in Revelation 2. And, and God was telling these people of Ephesus, oh, you've just been, do, you've been doing a good job. You, you've been doing a lot of things for me. And, and, you know, he was kind of applauding them and thanking them for all what they had done. And then he says, and yet, and yet I hold this against you. You have forgotten your first love, It's so important that we never forget that day when the realization of who we are without a Savior, it's just got to be so in our minds. Not that we dwell there, but we are reminded how hopeless our situation truly is until we meet Jesus. That when we have that conversions of Asian experience, do you remember that day when Jesus became so real to you that that song Amazing Grace really became understandable? That you finally knew what lost meant. I once was lost. And now you know what found means. That you now know what, how blind you were, but now you know how you can see with your spiritual eyes. It's moments like that that God wants us to never forget. Jacob, go back to Bethel. Remember what happened there to you, to me. He's saying, go back to that moment when I became your all in all, and you knew you needed me, and you were joy-filled. You were, re- You, you worshipped, you praised me. Where has that gone? Where has that spark gone? The spark that just initiates your love for me and your love for the word and you can't get enough and you're so grateful for your salvation, that you want to serve me, that, that you, want to, you want to surrender your life to me that in view of what I've done, you offer me yourself. Where did that go? It's good. It's good to go back and remember your first love. Now, Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, verse 8, she died. It was buried under the oak below Bethel. So it was named Lan Bakuth, which means of weeping. For it to be mentioned in this chapter, she must have been a very beloved member of that family. After Jacob returned from Padan Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. He first told Jacob This is what you need to do. This is how you need to clean it up. This is how you need to be washed inside and out. And then, when they did it, God comes again and blesses him and reminds him oh, he's so faithful, he's so patient, he's so forgiving. Isn't that just such a reminder to us that when he forgives, he remembers it no more and that it is washed away. It is it is as far as the east is from the west. He said, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. Now, this isn't the first time he told him before, but boy, a lot has transpired, and he needs this reconfirmed. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. It's like I am reconfirming your new name, but I want to remind you again of who I am. I am God Almighty. Be fruitful, increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will come from your body. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I give to you and I will give this land to your descendants after you. I told you and I mean it and I will not take it away. This promise I gave your grandpa and your father and now to you. I keep my promises. Then God went up from him in the place where he had talked with him. Then God left him. He just, well, he didn't, of course, leave them, but he then went up from where the place they were. And now Jacob's like, don't you wonder if he's just sitting there after that and just wonder, wow, it just all happened. Oh, man, I was so far off. And God just loved me anyway. His unconditional love, his grace just came and made me see my sin. And he didn't give up on me either. He reconfirmed in me that I am a part of this family, and his promise will go through my descendants. I wonder... I wonder if he's thinking and I have this new name. I have this new name in Sometimes I wonder if God just kind of kinda of steps aside like he did there with Jacob, Israel and says, Okay now think about it. I think he did, too. I think he did think about it, and he set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him, and he poured out a drink offering on it, and he also poured oil on it. A drink offering is is. Promise of eventual victory and settlement in the land. It was again reaffirming, reaffirming. He, he, he reconfirmed Jacob's new name, and now he's he's restoring this relationship and the promises. This drink offering is. Jacob's way of saying, I believe the promise that you gave to Abraham and Isaac is now to me. Jacob called this place where God had talked with him Bethel. I would say, I would say this, this town, this place, Bethel. Is going to be a place Jacob will always remember. Do you have a place like that? Do you have a place where you know what happened to you there, and how when you return there, and your mind goes back to that place, how what it can do for you, how it can clean you inside and out. And it's such a monumental place in your spiritual life that. It did change everything because that's where Jesus became real to you. Verse 16, and they moved on from Bethel. And while they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel began to give birth and had great difficulty. And as she was having great difficulty at childbirth, the midwife said to her, Don't be afraid, for you have another son. And she breathed her last, for she was dying. She named her son ben Anni, but his father named him Benjamin. And Ani meant son of my sorrow, and Benjamin means son of my right hand. I feel for Rachel. I know she was the one Jacob loved most, and so she was loved, And but her whole life, the way she took the household god's the way she um, when she was given Joseph she came back instead of with joy and worship she says i want another i want another child i mean it's like she never found it isn't it something you can have everything this world has to offer but when you really don't have Jesus, when you don't have a real, true relationship, you are always wanting more. You're never content. You're never satisfied. It seems like there's no joy. I don't see joy in Rachel's life. I feel for her because I think she missed it. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, in Bethlehem, and for her tomb, Jacob set up a pillar, and to this day, that pillar marks Rachel's tomb. You know, and one more side note, I'm still thinking about Rachel, and I thought, you know, she had two sons, and neither one of them. neither one of them were picked to carry the line of Christ. As Judah was. So, you know, just something to think about. How, you know, you think of everything this world has to offer you, but I think she did miss it. Israel moved on, on again, and pitches tend to be on McDowell Eater. Israel was living in that region. Reuben went in and slept with his father's concubine, Bilhah, and Israel heard of it. Now, again, he doesn't do anything. To me, isn't that just, it just makes you sick almost? I mean, Reuben, Leah's first son, is now old enough and then takes one of his first concubine, which doesn't sound right either, does it? But yet he, he did not do anything about it until on his deathbed, he does give, he does give Reuben's birthright to Joseph. In Genesis 49, but right here, he doesn't seem to do anything. Now, we do have here the listing of Jacob's 12 sons. Sons of Leah were Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. Sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin. Sons of Rachel's eight-servant, Bilha. Dan and Naphtali, the sons of his maid servant Zil- Zilpha, Gad, and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Paddan Aram. When I read that and I hear concubines and I see what Reuben did and I list these listings of 12 sons, all, all I can think about is how God uses broken people. And when you you see great faithfulness, sometimes you just don't realize just how faithful he really has been. When you read stories like this and when you see your own life and you, you know what you've done and how you put yourself first so many times and You need to be brought back to the cross. And and yet he just keeps lavishing us with his undeserved favor and takes us back and uses us. Verse 27, Jacob came home to his father Isaac in Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had stayed. Isaac lived 180 years and then he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people old and full of years. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Can't help but think about that reunion can you? I wonder I wonder what Esau said hey where are you? where were you? How come you didn't meet me? You said you were and you didn't and down here. you wonder if Jacob might have said boy I, yeah, that was the beginning of my downfall and believe me Esau I made a bad choice and let me tell you what we did and what happened and I, I don't know what happened in this re, in this reunion here reunion but a lot sure did happen I was thinking about that you know and I You wonder when you get to the end of your life, you know, like here with Isaac and knowing, you know, that here's Jacob and Esau and all what transpired. And when you get to the end of your life, you know, what what are you going to say? You know, what, I mean, we all made mistakes, but did we, did we, do something about those mistakes? Or did we just cover them up? Or did we blame God and and say, yeah, but you didn't do and at the end of our life, do we do we feel like God robbed us? That we didn't get what we wanted and instead of seeing that he saved us. There's such a difference at the end of our I don't know why this story really made me think about at the end of my life, what's it gonna be like? Am I going to blame God and feel I was robbed by not getting all what I deserved, I thought or or, or am I, at the end of my life, am I gonna feel so blessed because he did what he promised and you know what it's going to determine at the end of my life it's going to determine which which one I decide am I going to feel robbed and I blame god or if I feel so blessed by him that's going to determine if I'm going to be miserable or I'm going to be so delighted and at peace. The thing is, what happens at the end of my life, I have to be doing what I need to be doing now. I always say, well, what we do, the moments we are making now are going to be memories eventually. And even more so, what what are my priorities? What's my life? What am I living for? What am, what's my life about? What What am I doing with my life now? That at the end of it, whatever that's going to be. Am I really going to be... So blessed by him. And what a way to end your life knowing that it's completed. Like Paul said, I've finished the race, I've done what I can. When I look at this family, I'm thinking about all the mistakes they made and all the ways that they, how broken they were and how they just never even thought of God. And I thought, "Oh Lord, I know you want this story, these stories here to remind me what I'm doing now, the choices I'm making now, the decisions I'm making now are going to determine how I end this life. So, Heavenly Father, you've made this so personal. You made it so clear when you're in the middle of our lives how how it can go when we're listening to you, how it can go when we're obeying you, how it can go. But if we decide that in a subtle way that we just can tune you out, we also see what it can be. And the consequences and what could have been spared. Father, this is a real wake-up call lesson. So many of these have been through this family. So hard, thank you for making it clear and and helping it to resonate right to the core of our being. That somehow, way, we want the end of our life to just see you and all the blessings. I want to end this life delightful, complete, content. But all matters on what we're doing with our lives right now for you. And how important you really are to us that we keep your name top in our lives, that you are at the top of our lives, that your word is open, that we are listening to your spirit, that we are willing to obey your commands. Pray this all in our Savior's name who made it all possible for wretched sinners like each and every one of us, but yet we, our name has been changed from too far gone to save by grace. May we live like it. In Jesus' name, amen.